0: It's been said that if you want a better outcome, you need to ask better questions. And that's the subject of the conversation I have today with our guest, Bob Titi. Bob is the author of the recent book, Now That's a Great Question. He's a creator of the leadingwithquestions.com blog and director of leadership development at Crew. Our conversation dives into the impact of great questions, some of the hurdles that we face in asking more great questions and some of the simplest, most powerful tools that you can use today to increase your leadership through better questions. Welcome to Communication on Point podcast. I'm your host, Dean Hefta. This program is designed to bring insights and resources to help you improve your leadership through better communication. Let's get started. Well, today I'm very excited for not only the topic, but for my guest. We're talking about questions and the power of great questions on our leadership and our ability to connect with people. And joining me is Bob Teedy. Bob,
1: welcome to the program. Dean, it's my pleasure. Been looking forward to this conversation. You know, I love the work that you do around helping
0: people lead with better questions. And actually, you're Newest book is called Now That's a Great Question. And it starts with a confession. And I was wondering if you'd share that confession with our listeners.
1: Well, Dean, I'd be, I'd be delighted uh, because I've, you know, have a blog leadingwithquestions.com and written books related to this. Uh, people think Bob probably, you know, it's just part of his DNA to ask questions. And my confession is that's not true. What's part of my DNA is to be a teller. The first chapter of my new book starts with a confession, and the confession is that for most of my crew career, I was what I, now looking back, call a benevolent dictator because I thought the role of a leader was to direct staff on what needs to be done. In other words, tell them, here's what needs to be done. Now, the benevolent part was... I grew up with a wonderful mom who always said, Robert, she called me Robert, say please and thank you. And so the benevolent part was, of course, please and thank you. And and I acknowledged work well done. Dean, if we'd worked together, I would appreciate it, you one-on-one. And in a staff meeting, I might say, hey, Dean, stand up, gang. Dean has hit the ball out of the park and uh, just want to express appreciation, have you all know about it. But again, my only paradigm of leadership was that a leader needs to tell. And in 2006, um, my wife loves to go to bookstores. We were in a bookstore. She goes all over, Dean, but when she's done, she knows she'll find me in the leadership section. And I usually pull off three or four books, peruse them. Sometimes one goes home. Well, that day I discovered the book by Dr. Michael Marquardt, professor at George Washington University called Leading with Questions. I took it home, it was a page turner. And in my life in leadership, it was the first time I became aware of another paradigm of leadership and that is leading with questions. And I instantly embraced it because it was like, why hasn't anyone ever shared this with me before? So uh, that's the confession, Dean.
0: It's an excellent one. And I appreciate you sharing that because it can feel like when we see people doing things really well, when they do it really well, it seems so natural for them that we think, well, they must have been born that way. It, it comes so easy to them. But I think for anybody listening, for me, it's hope that somebody already, you know, mid career, successful in their career, has this epiphany, this realization. There's a different way. There's something that I haven't learned yet and implements that with fervor, as obviously you have.
1: Dean, there's another story I share in that first chapter. I'm a a big fan of the uh, Willow Creek Global Leadership Conference and have attended it many, many years. And uh, one year on the program was Liz Wiseman, who's written the book Multipliers. And, and anticipating uh, her talk, I thought, man, this is going to be great, Dean, because she's going to be talking about leaders like me, you know, multipliers. Well, she started her talk talking about diminishers. Now, I could understand what the word diminisher meant, but I certainly wouldn't have applied it to me. But she started to define a diminisher leader. She said, when you bring a diminisher leader a problem, they solve it for you. And I kind of thought, what? Well, that's exactly what I do. In fact, I love it when staff bring me problems. But she said a multiplier leader, Dean, if you brought me a problem, a multiplier leader would say, well, Dean, what do you think you might do? And they let the, uh, the person coming solve it for themselves. And then uh, the second thing she said is, is when you bring a diminisher leader and a new idea, They say, great idea, but Dean, do you know, if you only added this and this and this, it would really give it horsepower. And again, (laughs) Dean, I was thinking lower in my chair thinking, but that's exactly what I do. I, I thought that's helpful to staff. In fact, I thought staff leaving my office would say, wow, I'm so glad I brought that to Bob. He really added horsepower. I actually had no emotional intelligence to understand staff. I actually were leaving thinking that's the last time I'm bringing Bob a new idea, because no matter what I bring him, it's never good enough. And uh, again, the multiplier leader is going to say, Dean, great idea. Tell me more. And uh, and the final question might be, how can I help? And so at any rate, I began to realize, wow, it was it was another epiphany of the power of asking rather than telling
0: as you're sharing that story uh, what emerges to me is it it looks like you found a space that you hadn't seen in between the you know I hear leaders make comments like you know don't bring me any problems unless you have a solution so on one end i'm not here to fix your problems and i don't even want to hear about your problems on the other end Bring your problems to me and I'll solve them. Those can feel like the two choices a leader has. And both of those can be very frustrating for their teams. And it sounds like you found a space in between that says, I can be here to support you and be useful, but not in a way that solves your problems for you. Is is that an accurate way to think about it?
1: Well, it is. It is. And, and you know another benefit, at, at, one, at one level, leadership is about opening doors for others. Leadership is about developing leaders. Uh, a quote I, I don't know who to attribute to, but said a good leader is known by how many followers they have. But a great leader is known by how many leaders they've developed. When you solve problems for people, you may develop a great, uh, group of leaders who are going to continue to come back to you every day to solve, let you solve their problems. But when you are letting them solve their problems, you're developing leaders and uh, no organization can advance any faster than its ability to develop leaders. Developing leaders is baseline for growing any organization.
0: Yeah, certainly the, uh, the throttle for growth or the choke point for growth is the leadership capacity of an organization and so we have to certainly grow the individuals and the number of individuals and i was thinking about this this concept that i've heard some about the last few years you know we've we've all heard about uh, helicopter parents you know that hover around and mm. and a lot of times when we talk about leadership development we don't really think about parenting and kids but certainly that's the ultimate i think original leadership development But the newest concept is what I heard called the snowplow parent and the snowplow parent goes ahead of their children and moves all of the obstacles out of their way. And Mm -hmm. so you think about that, just like with employees, if I'm getting rid of all the obstacles or I'm solving everybody's problem, how am I ever developing the skills of others? So how do you see this, this leading with
1: questions approach? as a parent? Well, Dean, I'd I'd not heard this term before, but it makes instant sense of, of something you ought not to do. Because, you know, if we look back on our own leadership experience, our growth takes place when we have to overcome challenges, overcome obstacles, overcome things that didn't turn out the way we wanted them to turn out. And, uh, you know, Dean, if, if I was to say, Dean, tell me about the times in which you've grown the most as a leader, I'm guessing you'd rehearse a whole bunch of challenges that you had to overcome, along with, you know, opportunities that you had to figure out, how do you uh, take advantage of that opportunity? But it's all of that that developed you and gave you confidence. And, and of course, with our children, it's the same. You know, of course, yes, protect them. in in ways that are reasonable and, and you know, give them rails to run on, but you've got to let them run. And you've got to let them encounter and uh and solve and figure out because that's where their confidence will come from.
0: You've mentioned you know in a lot of your writings and it's very clear that your belief is that good questions make a difference on our ability to have leadership impact. For some, that might feel a little bit anecdotal, like, well, that's your opinion, and I've gotten good response with just telling people what to do. How do you know that good questions turns into effective leadership?
1: Dean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond to that, but I'm going to start with a really silly question, and, uh, but I'm going somewhere with this. Dean, if you were in a rowboat with your whole team, and there were oars for everyone, And the goal was to get across the lake as quick as possible. How many of them would you like to have row with you?
0: Certainly, I'd like everybody rowing.
1: Yeah, of course. Well, Dean, take that same team now and place them around your conference table. Yep. And so often, a leader sitting with his or her team at the conference table, and again, they're trying to figure out what's the way through here. How do we get to the other side of this problem as quick as possible with a, with a great solution? And so often I see that there's only one oar in the water. Only the leader is trying to figure that out. Why would the leader not want to engage all the oars, in other words, all the brain power at the table by asking, gang, what do you think we might do to solve this? And it's, it's just that that makes the huge difference. Uh, Dean, another related question. Whenever you've had a, a boss, a supervisor ask you, hey, Dean, what do you think we might do about some challenge, some opportunity? How did that make you feel?
0: Well, certainly it communicates a few things. It immediately gets my mind going on ways that we might solve it, but it's also communicating a level of respect that I am valued and uh, they're interested in my perspective on something. And so I'm able to contribute.
1: Yeah. There's a quote from uh, Thoreau who said, The greatest compliment ever paid me is when one asked for my opinion and then attended to my answer. mm but Dean, let's let's go back to the boss who uh, who asks you, "Hey, Dean, what do you think we might do?" And you give an answer, and he or she then responds to saying, "Wow, Dean, that's a terrific idea. W- would you lead that effort for us, Dean?" When they ask you to lead it, and if you agreed, how much would you own the uh, the solution?
0: Well, it's. It's mine now, right? It, I mean, it's yeah. my idea and now I, I'm responsible for it. So
1: I'm going to own it. And, and, and you're owning it in spades, meaning, wow, they went with my idea. I got to make this work. <laughs> right. I better not
0: make my idea look
1: bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whereas if the boss just simply says, hey, here's the problem. Dean, here's what I want you to do. And internally, you're thinking, dumb idea. And he's the boss, so okay, are you going to uh execute with the same level of energy when you're thinking it's a dumb idea as you would with your own idea?
0: Well, there is a risk that I might subconsciously prove that it's a dumb idea
1: yeah and and so it's it's those things. In other words, there's multiple advantages. First of all, when you ask that team around the table, what do you think? What do you think we might do? Now, keep in mind, as a leader, you do not have to go with anything you hear. Uh, In other words, you haven't given up control or decision-making, but now you've got a bunch more ideas on the table, and often you may indeed hear something to think, wow, I hadn't thought of that. That's better than anything I thought of. Dean, fabulous answer. Would you be willing to lead us in that effort? And uh, you're on your way. So you hear better things. Second, if you do hear a fabulous answer and you ask uh, that staff member to lead, they're going to have ownership like nothing else. Uh, Third, you're developing leaders instead of just dictating what needs to be done. You know, you're getting all of them involved. And uh, the end result is you're gonna have better decisions, you're gonna have more horsepower and execution and you're developing leaders in the process. So it's all of those things that uh, lead me to conclude that leading with questions can be up to 10 times more effective than just simply being a benevolent dictator as I was.
0: Well, it sounds like I'm gonna have less stress in the process as well as the leader.
1: For sure. well, another thing that that I'm fond of saying is that leadership is not a, is not as much about knowing all the right answers as it is about knowing a few of the right questions. And when a leader moves from I've got to have all the answers, that's stressful because none of us do. To no, my role is simply to ask a few of the right questions, and I already know the questions, so boom, it's easy. So
0: I'm soon going to be asking you to teach me some ways to be a better question asker. But before we get there, you alluded to maybe in this situation, um, a challenge that keeps us from asking questions as frequently as would be helpful. You mentioned control. But in your experience, what are some of the things that keep us from leading more with questions or using questions more effectively in our in our lives what's going on if this is so powerful and so impactful what's keeping us from doing it already
1: Uh, dean my my answer is going to be so elementary and and there may you maybe you or those listening that would have uh, a a deeper more sophisticated kind of answer and uh but here's what i think takes place it's it's kind of fascinating Uh, preschool kids I'm told ask somewhere around two to 300 questions a day. And, uh, and it's been a while since we had a preschooler in our house, but I remember. (laughs) (laughs) And then that preschooler becomes a schooler. They, they go to kindergarten and first grade and they start out asking a whole bunch of questions, but many times what they, uh, are told by their teacher is, uh, Johnny, it's my job to ask the questions. It's your job to give the answers. Well, fast forward through their education, the average college graduate only asks twenty to thirty questions a day, no longer the two hundred they asked as a preschooler, and um, and so we become uh, over that time, we we be, we develop a thinking that. Uh, yeah, our job is to give answers. It's not to ask questions. And so we start in the workforce. And and again, um, the boss will tell me what to do. My job is simply then to respond. And so, um, you know, I am taking a shot at the educational system. I, I don't think it's been done in any willful way. But there are some really bright spots in education where they are now training kids to ask questions and to use that as a way in which to acquire knowledge, where they own it because they're answering the questions they're asking. So um, I think most of us, as I was as a benevolent dictator, And I, you know, I underscore both of those words. And and I was not an evil dictator. I just didn't know any other way to lead. It never even occurred to me to lead with questions. Um, And I use please and thank you a lot and and thought that I was doing a great job. And so uh, I really think it's down to uh, leading with questions for many is like a paradigm they've never even... hasn't even crossed the frontal lobe. But what's so encouraging to me, Dean, is that I have gotten such incredible response from leaders who, just like me, were benevolent dictators. They hear this concept and they think, oh my goodness, why hasn't anyone shared this with me? And they immediately embrace it and immediately begin to see the results.
0: Certainly. And and we learn our habits from our environment, but also from the people that we uh, watch and the models that we have. And so if we haven't had that model of leading with questions in our life, it, uh, it isn't necessarily obvious as, as you've shared. So if I'm somebody that says, I want to get better at asking questions, at leading with questions, and helping the people around me with better questions, where do I start?
1: Well, Dean, uh, when I'm speaking on this, uh, you know, after having introduced and shared a few stories, I uh, I ask who here in the audience would like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds. And every hand goes up and I invite uh, one of them up. And so, Dean, I'm inviting you up to the stage right now. All right. Here I come. Dean, uh, I always say to whoever I've picked, uh, I'll say it to you, Dean, I've chosen you because I sense you have a photographic mind and they always you know, look a little bewildered. And I said, I think you're only gonna have to hear my four favorite questions one time and you'll have them memorized. Are you ready? So Dean, are you ready? I'm ready. Here they are. First question, what do you think? Second question, what else? Third question, what else? Fourth question, what else? Dean, do you have them memorized? Can you share them with the audience? I,
0: I, I think I missed the third one, but uh, what I have is what do you think, uh, what else, what else, and what else. Is that right? That
1: is right. That oh. is right. Now, I'm sure there's some in the audience having heard that are just a bit skeptical, saying, you can't ask, what do you think, what else, what else, what else. But put this into a conversation where we're sitting and I'm saying, Hey, Dane, regarding this challenge that we're facing, Hey, what do you think we might do? And so you answer. And, uh, when you pause in a thoughtful way, I I look at you and make eye contact and say, wow, what else? Well, you're going to give me more. And, uh, there's other forms of that what else question. I might say, Dean, I'm taking notes. Don't don't stop now. P- please continue. And you'll give me more. And, uh, and uh, I might just say, Dean, hey, say more about that. And you'll give me more. And what I've discovered is, and Dean, we all do this. It's kind of instinctive. It's not that we process it. But when somebody asks us a question, our first answer generally is we roll out a safe answer and we're watching their face to see how do they treat it, how are they responding. And uh, in other words, if they look kind of bewildered, we give a few more details. If, if they look like, wow, they like this answer, we may give a few more details, but we're, we're you know, uh, very comfortable. If they look like they're angry, we'll adjust what we're saying. But, uh, you know, Dean, if I ask you, hey, what do you, what do you think about, and you give me an answer, and my first response is, well, Dean, that's stupid. Everyone knows that. Well, I've just shut the conversation down. You're not going to say another thing about it. Right. <laughs> but when I say, wow, what else? I'm actually going to get to your gold nugget, the very best thing you're thinking the third and fourth time I ask. And uh, And, Dean, you know, back to I've just shared with you how you can learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds. For a leader who, who's never done this, just those four questions will get you started. And they can be used one-on-one with a staff member, or they can be used with your whole staff at the conference table. And, uh, and it really is that simple. And uh, I've come up with that because sometimes I sense from the audience Dean, that they they like this idea, but they kind of imagine to lead with questions, they're going to have to get a master's degree in questionology. It's like a nice idea, but probably not going to happen. And uh, I love to bring it down to the low branches to say, no, you can actually lead with questions in 30 seconds. Now you got to go do it. You got to ask your staff, what do you think? What do you think we might do, and and then follow up. Say more about that. What else? Uh, I'm taking notes. Don't stop now.
0: Well, I love it, and the simplicity of it makes it accessible. It, it, I can see how, regardless of my habits, I can be more aware of simply asking a question like that. I can write it on my little notepad that I go into the meeting with just to remind me. Ask, what do you think? And I can do that. I don't have to be clever. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be tricky. I can just ask and then be in the conversation, be sincerely curious and listening for what they're saying, because certainly if I just ask what else and then go off on my own predetermined direction, uh, they're going to learn that I'm trying to use some sort of tactic.
1: It, uh, Dean, another observation by me is that some of the greatest questions are so simple. Again, I think sometimes people might hesitate thinking, well, I'm going to have to come up with some really profound questions. And they imagine profound to be, you know, long, complicated, big words, uh, many clauses to ask that great question. And, and I find that you ask one of those long questions, you lose people. Uh, some of the greatest questions are so simple. Uh, in fact, I'm thinking of another three questions. Dean, that you'll have these memorized upon hearing them one time. But the setup for this is uh, when Navy Captain Michael D. Abershoff took over command of the USS Benfold, morale on that ship, however the Navy measures morale, was the lowest in the Navy. Eighteen months later, under his leadership, morale on that ship, when they tested it, was the highest in the Navy. And one of the first things Captain Avershoff did when he took over command was he had three hundred fifteen minute appointments with three hundred sailors on that ship. And he asked him three questions. And the three questions were, what do you like best about this ship? What do you like least? What would you change if you could? And Dean, when I heard those questions, it was like, wait a minute, I can ask those. And, and there's those are incredible. And uh, Dean, I'm I'm sure that at the end of the first day, he maybe only interviewed 10, 15 sailors. But there was a buzz on the ship. The new captain's different. He actually cares what we think. And then uh, Captain Avershoff, he didn't promise that he'd make every change that every sailor requested. But... Uh, But I'm sure he began to hear themes and he began to say to himself, what? What do you mean that's not being done on that ship? We're going to fix that. And so soon they were seeing that their input was actually resulting in changes on the ship. But, Dean, I bet you have those three questions memorized now. I've got them. Got them right here. And it's simple. Yeah, absolutely simple.
0: Are there things, when we move into this question asking mode, are there things that we should be cautious of or just aware of so that we don't ask maybe the wrong question or approach it in the wrong way?
1: You know, I I think there's probably some common sense here that's needed. You don't want to be an interrogator. You're not an investigative reporter. You don't want to drill people with, you know, one question after another. Uh, that might be what an investigative reporter does, but um, but in leading with questions, it's choosing a few. It's choosing a few at the right time, and uh, versus, in other words, I think you can over ask. You can ask too much, and or too many questions, and so uh, you know, keep it keep it simple for a conversation. I think the other thing is uh, you know when you ask a, a question, another concept that was shared with me that I really love is uh, asking the second question. And uh, it, it's actually a listening skill as well as a, a leading with question skill. But you ask that first question. Now now tell me more is a form of a second question but Dean begins to share an answer that relates to a, a certain experience uh, or a book or, or whatever, and to say, you know, Dean, I'm not familiar with that book. Tell me more about that book. And, and Dean, you know, shares, and, you know, what, what did you really, uh, you know, what was the best part of that book? And, and Dean shares, and my next question may be, you know, what would you say that you've taken from that book that's now uh, something you consistently do? And uh, so there's that concept that is really helpful and, again, simple. It can be used in friendly conversation also. Uh, th- there's another mistake that many of us make. It's what I call hijack the conversation. So, so Dean, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to use this to hijack something. Dean, where'd you go on your last vacation? Uh, to Wisconsin wow, Wisconsin, we love going to Wisconsin. We go to the Wisconsin Dells and, you know, and what I'm showing there, Dean, is somebody shares something about something we have familiarity with and we instantly want to tell them our story about Wisconsin. And we hijack the conversation. It doesn't actually matter if I've been there 10 times, a hundred times. Dean, what do you do in Wisconsin on vacation? Where'd you go?
0: It's a totally different feel.
1: Yeah. And just stay with asking Dean about his vacation versus I got to share about my time in Wisconsin. So re- remember not to hijack. And just by
0: asking that one more question, it looks like it's evidence that I'm curious and I want to know more about what you're trying to share with me.
1: Yes, that, that's been my experience, Dean.
0: Bob, what I love about your approach to leading with questions is it feels very accessible regardless of my my history of communication or how I've led. It's very accessible. It's very simple and it's going to make an impact quickly. So I'm excited to have people really use some of these approaches, whether it's the what do you think and the what else, what else, or what do you like best? What do you like least? What would you change if you could? These are ways of demonstrating that I want to know more. I I care about you as an individual and I care about your thoughts on these things. And so it's simple and straightforward. And I'd love for you to share, if you would, when you think about leading with questions, what do you want to make sure that that me or any of the listeners take away when we think about improving our leadership by using questions?
1: Well, Dean, uh, that's a, a fabulous question. And I instantly have an answer. And that answer is, if you're going to lead with questions, if you're going to ask questions, you then have to listen. Just the very uh, importance of listening. And some research I did showed me something. In fact, uh, I I identified it as, as I'm one of the culprits. But research shows that when we ask questions many times we only wait two or three seconds for an answer. And, uh, if whoever we've asked a question of doesn't answer in two or three seconds, we to fill the silence immediately, either re-ask the question, ask a different question, answer the question ourselves, or just move on. And here's the interesting part with no awareness of what we've just done. And so, um, I have found a, a key to help overcome that, and it's the eight-second rule. But, Dean, when, when you think of eight seconds as a rule, what do you think of?
0: Well, I grew up in the country. I mean, I think of bull riding.
1: Yeah. Uh, even if, for, for those listening who are not, you know, huge fans of bull riding, uh, you may be aware that to have a qualified ride, that rider has to stay on the bull for eight seconds. Now, eight seconds can seem like such a short amount of time, but to a bull rider, it's an eternity. And, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan or follower of the sport, but whenever I watch it, it seems like only about one in four stays on the bull for the eight seconds. The other three are bucked off. Well, here's what's fascinating. When we ask a question, waiting eight seconds for an answer without us saying anything, will also seem like an eternity. But what I've learned to do, Dean, is ask the question, sit comfortably and relaxed, relaxed eye contact, and I count to myself, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. There's been times I've gotten up to 1,030. And what I found is the longer you wait, the better the answer. Now, of course, you know, some questions like, hey, Dean, where's the restroom? (laughs) Well, you can answer that in two to three seconds or quicker. But if I said, Dean, here's a question for you. What's been your greatest failure and, and what did you learn from it? Now, that one may take you 15, 20, 30 seconds to process and think, wow, what which one would I like to highlight and what did I learn? And if I'll sit patiently and wait, I'll be benefited by hearing an incredible story and answer. But I've got to give you time to process. I can't jump on the silence.
0: So it sounds like some of the questions we ask could be classified as eight-second questions. And not every question that we ask is an eight-second question, but some of them are significant because of the thinking and the reflection that they, that they drive, that they
1: create. They are worthy of that type of space. Dane, you've given me a new term. No one's ever said eight-second question, but I love it. Absolutely true. I instantly agree with it. That is fabulous term. I'm going to add that to my vocabulary.
0: All right. I was here. I, I witnessed it.
1: <laughs> you did.
0: As we wind down, and this has been so insightful for me, the, the simplicity that you bring and the experience you bring. And when I mentioned experience, you early on talked that, you know, as, your, as a part of your role with CREW, you mentioned that in passing. If you would uh, explain what CREW is, you've been there a few years now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Tell us about CREW and, and your role there with the organization.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, Crew, uh, I think as of about six years ago, is the new name for Campus Crusade for Christ. We have uh, approximately 25,000 staff in 190 countries. And uh, this June that we've just passed marked 49 years on staff. I uh, spent eight in Crew Campus, 24 years directing the Josh McDowell Ministry, which is a division of Crew and now 17 years on the uh, leadership development team. And, and Dean, it's, a, it's an incredible team. It is not something I do by myself. Our mission is to develop the next generation of leaders for crew. The, uh, the elevator speech, I always share that it actually applies to every organization, not just crew. And that is in 15 to 20 years, almost none of our current leaders will still be leading. In their places will be the leaders we're now developing. And if we fail to develop them now, crew or, or your organization or any company, for-profit, nonprofit, is not going to fail tomorrow, next week, next month, or even next year. But history, sadly, has so many stories of organizations once vital and flourishing and 15 to 20 years later are a shell of themselves or may not even exist. And when you dig around, the reasons, of course, are complex, but almost always no intentional development of the next generation of leaders. It was like if the current leaders or founders thought they were going to live forever. And so it's a mission we take very seriously. And and then, Dean, on this team, I think I have (laughs) the best role of everybody. I don't want to say most important but it is one I absolutely love, and that is uh, my role is to serve leaders outside of crew any way I can, and and primarily my blog, leadingwithquestions.com, and my free ebooks. There's three of them available on my blog, and the newest one, now that's a great question, again, can be downloaded for free. You just go to leadingwithquestions.com, and you'll see the picture of the book, and click on that, and uh, enter your email, and It will be sent to you. But in doing all of that, my role is to recruit outstanding leaders from outside of crew to coach crew leaders every other week. And we currently have 101 outside leaders coaching crew leaders every other week, uh, 101 crew leaders. And uh, it's become such an incredible experience, such a win-win. Our coaches, they do it pro bono. And uh, and many of them share that uh, they're getting way more out of it than they're putting in. They're taking all the things they're learning in this process back to their companies. I'm elated about that. But their investment in our leaders, uh, well, our leaders many times say they have never had anyone in their lives spend as much time with them with no agenda other than wanting to help them win. I'm having fun Just uh, coordinating that, Dean. Well, that is tremendous.
0: And what an impact that has. And when we think about that leadership development and the replication of leadership, if we want shade 10 years from now, we have to plant trees today. And that's what any organization has to do. And that's all in the leadership. So thank you for the free resources that you have made available to anybody that wants to get better at asking questions and leading and I'll have a link to your, to your website so people can get to that. And thank you for providing that to everyone who, who wants it and for sharing your insights with me today. I, I know right now I'm a better leader and a better question asker because of our conversation.
1: Well, Dean, it, it's been my pleasure. You're a great host. You ask great questions.
0: Well, thanks for joining me, and I look forward to staying in touch.
1: Me too. Take care. Bye-bye.